book of Genesis. The book of beginnings. There's scripture I want to read for you. It is in the second chapter, verses 16 and 17. God had said to Adam, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will anoint every word that is said in this message this morning. Not only that, but anoint the thoughts, anoint every sentence and every phrase. I pray that every mind and heart in this gathering this morning will have a touch of the Holy Spirit to receive, to accept, to believe, and to honor this declaration of your word. Minister by your Holy Spirit in all that is said and all that is heard, and may it all come together to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's interesting to me that God said to Adam, you may eat of all the trees in the garden except one. Among those trees in the garden was the tree of life, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, it seems, as the scripture describes it, that those trees were growing side by side tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Later on, when God hosts an angel, a seraphim angel, in the east part of the garden with a flaming sword to protect the tree of life so that it would not be raided after sin had come in to the garden in the hearts of Adam and Eve. He said, we will guard this so that this sinner will not come back and eat the tree, the fruit of the tree of life, and live forever. So it seems to indicate that if Adam and Eve had chosen to eat the fruit of the tree of life, instead of to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they could have lived forever, and the economy of God's plan in the world would have been totally different from what it is. Instead, They chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided to eat from the forbidden tree. And that was the drastic mistake that caused the fall of man and set in force the requirement for a savior for lost and fallen mankind. What would have happened if Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of life instead of eating from the forbidden tree. Well, certainly we know that God gives life. God did not create man to fail. He did not create man to sin. In fact, he created him to have dominion over all of his creation. God's ultimate desire for his ultimate creation, man, was nothing but good, dominion, authority, 
everlasting life. It was sin that changed all of that. The mistake that they made was, they made the mistake of trying to attain life by going on a path forbidden by God. They wanted to attain, obtain eternal life or to maintain eternal life by their own means, by their own decision, by their own ways. And so when Satan slipped in and deceived Eve about the value of the tree that had the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and she believed him, it started a downward course. But it wasn't just a matter of choosing the fruit because it looked good, because she thought it tasted good, not even just because she believed the enemy. It was a matter of choosing a path to find eternal life, to no good, to no evil, to find eternal life by taking a path that God had forbidden. Adam and Eve were saying, I want to be my own God. I know what the Lord God Almighty has said. I'm going to try my way. And I want to discern, I want to determine eternal life by living the way I want to live in this garden and in this world. And I want to be my own God. So the fall came about not because of the beauty of the tree or the sweetness of the fruit. The fall came about because they chose disobedience. When you choose to walk a path of disobedience to God, you're always walking in the wrong direction. You're always walking with the wrong company. You're always walking in the wrong area. You're always walking the wrong path. You're always walking toward the wrong destination when you choose a path of disobedience to God. Not only that, but they were denying God's sovereignty. Now here's the creator of all things, the creator of all the majesty of the universe or the universes. And they decide that their way is better. So they denied God's sovereignty. He cannot be the one to tell us what to do. That's, a de- that's not only disobedience, that's a denial of God's sovereignty. And God will not have his authority, his eternal, his eternal authority denied by anyone. They may deny it, but the consequences will always fall in place resulting from it. And their act was an act of rebellion. They were turning against God in every way. Listen, God said to them, You are allowed to eat all of the fruit of any tree, of any shrub, of anything growing in this majestic garden, this glorious garden that I've created for you. Everything here is available to you, with one exception. God holds some things for himself, and he is entitled to do that. He has every right to do it. He's sovereign. He is God. Whether we acknowledge it or not, he always will be. So God has the right to do that. And man has the free will to reject that truth. It was shown by Adam and Eve. So they rebelled against God. And they missed 
choosing to eat the tree of life. The fruit of the tree of life was what would have changed everything. But they chose, in fact, the one tree that God said you can't eat. The tree of life was available to them. God said you can eat every of every tree of any fruit in the garden. It's all yours. You can eat anything here. The one exception is you're not to eat the, tree, the fruit of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is a rhetorical question. Don't anybody jump up and ask. Why is it? When God gives us so much, we always think that little bit that's not available to us, that isn't the right thing, it isn't righteous, it isn't true, it isn't honorable, it isn't grace. Why is it we always think that little bit that is really so useless, so valueless, is so important that we would choose that over all of the abundance that God provides for us? It's because before we come to know the message of salvation in the, our own experience, we're more like Adam than we are like Jesus. And so that's the mistake that's easily made. The tree of life has a totally different message than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The forbidden tree had a message Adam and Eve could not just drawn to it by the imploring of Satan. They were drawn to it, gave up to it, and disobeyed God. But if they had eaten of the tree of life, they, have been, they would have been receiving the eternal life that we receive now in Jesus. That was available to them, but they chose not to accept it. Because I believe that tree of life represents Jesus. I think the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents Satan because he was trying to draw them into his realm, and he did. But the Bible says that Jesus is life. So the tree of life, I believe, speaks of him. One of the greatest things that Jesus said that everybody in here can quote from John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life, the life, because Jesus is life. And that tree represents that. Four times, in fact, in the book of Revelation, the tree of life is mentioned once in chapter 2 and three times, I believe, in chapter 22. The tree of life is mentioned. Confirmed in the latter days that the tree of life is still a declaration of life in Jesus. So at the beginning, what I want to showed you in this matter of the Garden of Eden is that God built a message around the tree. He built a message of either damnation or salvation. He built a message of life or death. He built a message of forgiveness or transgressions. He built a message around a statement about a tree. Two statements, in fact. One statement was you can eat of any tree in the garden. All this is available to you. The other statement, you cannot eat of that fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was where they missed it. So he built a message 
around the tree. In the beginning of the New Testament, he continues that message. Here we have what we celebrate in this wonderful season. Jesus, the babe, is born in Bethlehem. And when he's born, there's no place for him to sleep, no place for him to rest. There's no bed for him, there's no crib for him. In fact, his parents were having to stay in a stable overnight. They had no room. The inns were full. There was no room for them. They were staying in a stable overnight. So they had no place to lay the baby who was born that night. So when Jesus was born, they wrapped him in warm clothing that they were blessed to have and prepared for because they knew, of course, he was going to have a baby. And they wrapped him in that clothing that they had to keep him warm. And they laid him in the only crib they had in a feeding trough for the animals. A manger is what was used for the cattle, the sheep, the animals who came in and out of that stable. And when they ate their straw and their hay and food from that manger, Mary and Joseph must have cleaned it out, laid a little blanket over it, and placed the baby Jesus in that feeding trough for the animals in that manger. And when they placed him there, they were once more identifying the message of God with a tree. someone with the skills of a carpenter and put there in that stable so that the animals will have a place to feed. And in that little makeshift manger, the product of a tree, they laid the baby Jesus. So from Eden, God spoke about his power of salvation in a tree. In the very beginning on the Christmas day that we celebrate, whether it's Jesus' actual birthday or not, I believe is immaterial. On this day that we celebrate his birth, they laid Jesus at the time that he came forth into the world in the form of human flesh into the product, the makeshift product of a tree and laid him there so that they could give him a place of rest, a place of repose, and the place so that those who were quickly coming to him would be able to come to worship him. So this tree that they put him in, this product of a tree, where the beginning of his life was established, was connected to a tree. In the very beginning, I want you to see, in the very beginning of Jesus' birth, God the Father connected him once again with a tree by designing that he would have to be born in a stable, in a place where only a manger was available for a crib, and let him lie there, held in the arms of the product of this tree, to declare that Jesus is now a natural man, boy, baby, a natural human being, ready to grow into the stature of a man and always, always connected to that tree. When Jesus spoke of dying 
as he did many times to his disciples. He spoke repeatedly, in fact, about being arrested, about being prosecuted and persecuted, about being killed at the hands of sinful men. He never named crucifixion, but when he told about that imminent death, trying to get his disciples ready for that, it had to be planted in their mind as he described how he would be killed by sinful men because the means of execution of that day was crucifixion. It had to be planted in their minds that he was telling them he would be crucified. Perhaps that's why they found such difficulty in accepting that message because they seemed to never understand it no matter how many times he told them. And yet he was always telling them that from the time of birth, from that manger formed from a tree, he was connected with and associated with a tree because always in the plan and the mind of God the Father, there was this recognition. The world looks at it, and mankind looks at it, and the knowledge of good and evil, humanity looks at it totally differently. Humanity looks at it as being cursed. That's what Paul said to the Galatians. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's speaking of Jesus. The world said he was cursed. So God allowed the curse of sin to be destroyed in the curse of the tree. The curse of sin, not denied, not revealed, but conquered. The curse of sin turned into victory as Jesus was placed on that tree. So from the, from the beginning of Garden of Eden, from the beginning of Jesus' life in the stable of Bethlehem, right on up to the time of the cross, there is a celebration of the tree inherited in the gospel. And you will say, well, the Christmas tree, Pastor, isn't associated with that. That's not where the Christmas, Christmas tree comes from. And I grant you that. I'm not going to tell you that's where it came from. I'm just going to tell you that God takes many, many things that we're not intended to proclaim his message. We're never designed by the founder of those things to proclaim the message of Jesus' salvation. Again and again and again, you'll find that. But always, always, God has a way of taking those things which were not planned to bring glory to Jesus and turning them into great revelations that declare the glory of his name and the majesty of his saviorhood. All the way through life, history, you'll find that to be true. And here's another case where God takes a secular, for all practical purposes, something that's just secular, and finds a way for those who believe, for those who understand, for those who see the spiritual revelation, for those who know that Jesus is preeminent, for those who recognize that he's the creator of all things, for those who recognize he's not just a baby, he's a savior, he's not just an infant, he's Lord of lords. For those who recognize that, they're able to see in what the world only sees as secular and the bright lights of their own understanding they're able to see the spiritual message and the spiritual impact that God wants them to see, which sometimes 
is under the cover, hidden behind the lights, but yet there is the hand of God. Now, Paul makes it very clear that the world sees it this way. That's why the world doesn't understand the cross. You can't talk to the world with understanding, with their understanding about this tree having anything to do with salvation. This is the this is the time to come in and ring the bells. This is just the time to come in and bring the presents. This is the time to see how much we can get. Nothing about salvation in this. And yet God has a message. God has a revelation of truth and things that the world intends to be totally otherwise. That they never intended it to be the message of God. And yet God brings his truth forth in a glorious way, spotlighted, highlighted in the sunlight as a declaration of truth. No matter what the world intends, God's intention, God's plan always overwhelms the machinations of the world. And so here it is. Here it is. What's on the top of your Christmas tree? A star? An angel? That's a spiritual message, you see. Maybe all the lights on the tree, you could say they're a message as well. What is on the top of your Christmas tree at home? On the top of our Christmas tree at home, there's a little angel set up. Maybe yours has a star. But in all likelihood, at the top of your tree, if you have anything on the top, the very tip of it, in all likelihood, it is either a star or an angel. And that's a spiritual message. See, at the top of it all, there's the message of God. And the message of God is Jesus Christ is the center of Christmas. He's the center of Christmas. So the Christmas tree symbolizes a lot of things to us. It symbolizes joy. And joy is a gift of God. We have joy unspeakable and full of glory in Him. It symbolizes celebration. We have great cause to celebrate birth of Jesus, but not only his birth, more importantly, his salvation. We, of course, couldn't have had one without the other. But that's the reality of it. So we sell it's joy, it's celebration. And what people think of most when they think of the Christmas tree, they think of giving. Well, they think of receiving, really. But somebody has to give in order for us to receive. And in the plan of God, that's exactly what happens. God is a giver. God is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave the glory to God. God is a giver. And that's what we need to learn about his nature when we realize that this, this time of giving of gifts is actually the expression of the greatest gift of all ever given, and that is an unspeakable gift. That is a gift that cannot be described, an inexpressible gift. He gave us his unspeakable, inexpressible, undeclarable gift. 
undefinable gift, so glorious beyond our words to express. But we know that that greatest gift of Christmas is the gift of Jesus for our salvation. Hallelujah. Now I want to tell you, my message today is the real Christmas tree. So this is not the real Christmas tree. If you look very carefully, you see a little bit of light shining through. And it's going to increase right now. You'll see shining through that tree what the real Christmas tree is. Because the real Christmas tree is the message of Jesus. The message of Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming by becoming a curse for us. I already gave you that scripture from Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus willingly was hanging on a tree, dying for our sins. That's what makes the real Christmas tree. The Christmas tree with the greatest gift of all is the cross where Jesus died for us. He was put on that tree. He was put on that tree. God the Father allowed him to go there. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. Jesus willingly chose to go there. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. He died on that cross for us. So the whole story from Eden, from the fall of the garden, from the manger, the whole story is confirmed in the cross. The real Christmas tree is what you see right there. The cross of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is the real Christmas tree. Because without the cross, there is no Christmas. Without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the cross, Jesus came in vain. If he had not died on the cross, his coming as a babe would have meant nothing. But he did. He died on the cross for our salvation. And he gave us a cause to celebrate to celebrate Christmas. The real Christmas tree. Not the bright lights of the world. Not the colorful display that we see all around us. But that red message where the blood flows, that red message where salvation is declared, that crimson declaration that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the Savior of the world, and every Christmas we need to recognize not just that a baby was born, but that a Savior died. That's the tree. That's the tree. That's the tree. We celebrate We celebrate not just Christmas, not just the birth of Jesus. We don't celebrate just the manger. We celebrate the tree, the real tree, the real tree on Golgotha. We celebrate the cross where Jesus died for our sins and made it possible for us to come to the Father and live eternally with Him. The greatest gift ever given is the gift God the Father gave to us, Jesus our Savior. And we have that gift today. We have that gift within us today. We received it from Him. We've accepted it from Him. We know we've received Him as our Savior. And that's the message of Christmas, my friends. The message of Christmas is Jesus came and Jesus died and rose again. And in that, He provided salvation for us. I want to gather around the Christmas tree. I want to gather around the Christmas tree. I want to bow before the Christmas tree. I don't know worship anymore. Not even the cross. But I want to gather around that tree.